Support for Connecticut East this week comes from Nutmeg Pharmacy, fast, friendly, convenient, local independent pharmacies that are there for you at nutmegpharmacy.com. And Healing Therapies Through Sharing, offering bodywork modalities for those facing the challenges of a cancer diagnosis and treatment at healingtherapiesct.org. She's normally showcasing artists and their work, but this time it's all about her artistic journey. We talk to Julia Wintner of Eastern Connecticut State University about her Fulbright scholarship that's taking her back to India. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. The art scene in Connecticut is well represented and no more so than at Eastern Connecticut State University's Art Gallery on their Willimantic campus. Julia Wintner is the coordinator there of Art and Museum Services and normally she and her team are showcasing the work of artists either locally or from the state or nearby for the benefit of the students and the local community. But now it's Julia's turn to be the centerpiece as she embarks on a journey that will take her back to a country she lived in for eight years back Back in the early 90s. It's all part of a Fulbright Nehru scholarship Julia was recently awarded and I caught up with her recently at Easton to find out more. Julia, it's always a pleasure talking to you and coming to visit this amazing art gallery here at Easton. Thank you for inviting us. Oh, thank you, Brian. It's great to see you and talk to you. Just for a change, we're not talking about somebody else's art or mm. sort of like an exhibition. We are talking about you. And mm. exciting news for you, you have been awarded a Fulbright Nehru Fellowship to teach in India. Now, we've all heard of Fulbright scholarships. Clearly, there's many, many different ones. Talk to us a little bit about this and how exciting is this for you? Oh, it's super exciting. I still cannot believe that I was uh, selected and awarded and I'm actually going and I'm living in almost two months for, yes, for this amazing opportunity of teaching and researching in South India, which is is, and in Bangalore, which is now equivalent of a Silicon Valley for for America, it's a very high tech place, very developed, and it's nothing like the India that I visited in 1992. I was going to say, so just to give the listeners a little bit of perspective on this, you currently reside here, obviously in Eastern Connecticut, but you did live in India for eight years, from 1992 to 2000, which I'm sure seems like an age. Ago And like you said, you know, the world in India has changed very much. Talk to us a little bit about the geopolitical side of India, because it's a big country. Population is very young. Yes, it's actually 52 percent of Indian population, which is now 1.4 billion people. 52 percent of these billions are below 30 years old. So it's a really upcoming power that will soon emerge as a as a very strong labor force and also a scientific force and also artistic force in the global world. And as part of my research and my teaching, I will be looking at uh, Indian artists, especially younger uh, Indian artists, 
Indian curators and uh, as part of my coming back to Eastern would be to feature their work, to have an exhibition of their work and continue this dialogue between India and America, which is actually a prime focus of Fulbright Award to create dialogue between countries. India, as we were saying, big country, big population. Also, I mean, from the creative point of view, I mean, we instantly think of Bollywood. I mean, Bollywood is, you know, sort of turns out more movies per year than Hollywood does. So, I mean, you know, they are a hugely creative country. What are some of the things that really sort of like excite you and excited you, you know, when you first lived there back in, you know, back in 92 and 2000? Because clearly there was a reason why you went to India. Yes, I went to India not for the fine arts output or creative production. I went to India for their crafts industry. I came to India from Russia where millions of young women had very little to wear and very little to adorn themselves with no jewelry, no dresses for summer. Russia, when I left in around 1992, was really in an impoverished country. So I came to India to start my own business, which was uh, to export Indian crafts to Russia. And I was pretty successful and I was sending cotton dresses and uh, jewelry back to to Russia. And um, this cotton business or the crafts business took me around the country. I visited almost all major cities in India. And uh, while traveling, of course, I came across uh, with uh, great artists and great craftsmen as well. And what striked me is the um, marriage or a union between crafts and fine arts. The tradition of craft is so powerful in India that contemporary artists continue the same thinking about craft as part of their own fine arts production. Let's talk a little bit about you and we'll come back to this in just a moment. Tell us how you got started, obviously, in the whole so like, arts movement because clearly you have a passion for it. As you sit here, you can see the smile on your face and, and you just love, obviously, the job that you do. And when Whenever I come here and do reports with you about exhibitions, you just see you beaming about, you know, this this next exhibition that's actually coming here to Easton and how you can enthuse the students and obviously the, the local community. So what got you fired up about art originally? Back in Russia, I completed my Bachelor's of Fine Arts and I was supposed to be an artist after this degree, but I thought that I would love to explore the world and I had the perfect moment to leave uh, Russia with the, perist- with the first year of perestroika. So my part of Indian experience was part of that overseas experience and carrying the idea of arts and the love for arts to India was, was really an important energy and an important drive in my crafts business as well. And from India, I brought the admiration for colors for craft making and um, for burgeoning contemporary art which was just a beginning in India at that time. 
I suppose when we think about the big countries, you know, when it comes to art and creativity, India isn't always necessarily at the top of that, is it? You know, we think of other countries. But I mean, as you've said, it's got a big art and cultural movement. And I'm guessing because it's such a big country, and you were saying that, you know, when you lived there, you traveled around extensively. Does it change quite a bit as you go from some area to area? Because it is a big geographical area, isn't it? Yes, the north of India is very different from the south. The northern part is more uh, westernized. It's more close to other countries, more western countries as well. People are very different. They speak uh, different languages at the north and then the south. And uh, the vast diversity of people, of tradition, all across India is just extraordinary. And the majority of Indians from the north, or many of them who have an opportunity, of course, they go to work and study to England or to America. And the diaspora of Indian population is growing all the time in these countries, many of them coming back to India to start their own practices, to start their own businesses. Now, it's very popular for Indian professionals and intellectuals to be educated overseas, but yet bringing this uh, great education of the West, bringing it back to India. So uh, since I left India, there is a great generation of new curators, of new artists, highly educated in the Western art schools. So they came back and now they are practicing on their craft and their fine arts in India. So I'm really looking forward to meeting with them and hopefully bringing them back to Eastern and creating an exhibition, creating a podcast, a website with their work, and um, again, contributing to our student growth and student education. Now, you actually applied, obviously, for this Fulbright Nehru Fellowship. That's how that works, just so that listeners understand. You know, you're not just plucked from obscurity. You do have to apply and you have to put forward a, a good rationale as to why you should be given this sort of thing. Talk to us about why now. Why did you decide that you wanted to, to do this now? What was influencing you? What was going on with you, with Easton, that you thought, hey, this is like a really good time, I think, for me to be doing this? I have been at Eastern for four years, and Eastern has been very good to me. I was able to mature I was able to do some great programs. So I matured as a professional, as a person as well. And all of that contributed to my idea of this application. Yes, indeed, it's a, it's a long application. It's a long process. And it's required some thinking. It's required proposal and solidifying my thoughts of what I'm actually going to do in India. And and this nurturing experience of Eastern that I can be thankful for receiving this application. And just to mention a several distinction between Fulbright Awards, you can be a student and still get a Fulbright Student Award. You can be a graduate, postdoc student and still apply and receive a Fulbright. And of course, Fulbright is really a prestigious award, even Fulbright, right? That's even the title of it has a big significance of this prestige and brightness of the ideas that you're going to develop while on 
the fellowship and after the fellowship. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. They are competitive, these things. Mm. There's no guarantee. It doesn't matter how professional you are. There is no guarantee that you will be the fellow that gets this. So how excited were you when you got the email, the letter, whatever, Mm. however it came back to you to say, yes, actually, Julia Wintner, (laughs) we totally want you to do this because, yeah, this is exactly what this Fulbright Nehru Fellowship is about. Talk to us about the moment you found out that you'd actually got it. That was one of the highlights of my of my existence, of my past life. It was always an intention of mine to go back to India and to complete this project, so to speak. When I was in India, I was much younger. Many questions were asked and never were answered in my mind. So I always wanted to go back and finalize, complete, and do something very creative with that experience. And this Fulbright is really a chance for me to accomplish and produce a very interesting knowledge that would bring my younger experience and my mature experience together for the help of students, for inspiration of um, our faculty as well. And I'm really excited that it's all happening for Eastern as well, because I will be traveling as part of Eastern to India, and I will be speaking on behalf of Eastern. So it's a really big award, not only for me, but for the the system, for the college as well. Talk to us about... Obviously, now that you will be going, and I believe that will be towards the end of December, possibly January, so that's not far off. So just talk us through, you know, how this all works, who you've had to contact. I mean, will you be traveling alone? Give us all the details on that, because it sounds like it's, a, you know, a, another big thing in itself. You know, applying for the Fulbright was one thing. Now it's like coordinating everything, I'm sure, is going to be another big thing as well. Yes, it will, will be. And I will be teaching at Shrishti Manipal Institute of Arts, Design and Technology. I have a a liaison person there. She assigned two classes for me to teach, which are short-term classes, only for five weeks. And these classes are on curating and entrepreneurial thinking for artists and art professionals. I am reading books to help in my teaching right now. And the liaison person will help with accommodation for me to live on campus, be in close proximity to my classes. And after completing this teaching, I will have time to do a research that will bring me out of the university, let me, will let me to visit other larger cities in India, such as New Delhi, Mumbai, Chennai as well. So I look forward doing this research and meeting with artists and curators in each city I visit in India. As we said, you know, you'd previously lived there back in the the 90s up until 2000s. Will you be bumping into any old colleagues or like old friends at all? I'm not sure. I don't expect to find anyone from my past life, but you never know. (laughs) And also the other thing is, um, you know, when we talk about arts and culture, not every country takes it as seriously as, as they should. How seriously does India take its arts and culture sector these days? Because like you said, there is so much there. There is such a wealth of different types of of art and culture. Um, But it's very much a caste system there as well in India. So I mean, so how, you know, how accessible and how serious do they take all of this? I think India really 
places a lot of uh, value on their culture, both contemporary and more traditional culture. There are a lot of funding that has been allocated for artistic development. There are several new contemporary museums that have been opened recently. I think one of the museums of contemporary art in Calcutta is designed by one of the Western museum architects, Frank Gehry or someone else. I'm sorry, I should have done this research. But there are great Western museums have been opened very recently. And India is nowhere lacking in the cultural production as uh, as it used to be perhaps back then. It's a really progressive, really cultural country because it attracts a lot of tourists and tourist industry brings a lot of income to the country. What are you hoping that they are going to take away from your teachings? As you said, you will be teaching whilst you're there. So what is it that you will be hoping to impart to them and maybe learn yourself? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to be taught by the local students as well. I think what I can tell them is all about my immigrant life, my immigrant experience, and my life in America, my Western education, and the education that can be experienced not only with a book or in the university, but my education as a life experience. And I'm happy to be learning from them, their experiences as well, and very much different perspective on the world. Again, since you live there, I mean, you know, the internet has exploded, of course, over the last 20 odd years. Do you think that that has helped in many ways, not only from your perspective, but you know, from other countries' perspectives, being able to see, you know, the things that are happening around the world, both arts and culture, news, trends, all that sort of thing. So do you think that that will be an eye-opener for you when you get there to see how much maybe westernization has actually seeped into India? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's no longer traditional and small, well, small in terms of the globalization as it used to be. It's a super developed country. Internet is everywhere. There is no place you go with no internet. There is no cash any longer. Everyone is paying through their cell phones and with the credit cards. I remember carrying cash on me all the time when I was there. It's no no longer the reality. It's a really developed and really exciting opportunity for me to come back to India. So as we say, obviously we wish you the very best when you go over there. And obviously they're very lucky to have you as well and everything that you're going to be teaching them. You did say at the top of the interview that you know once you come back, you will be planning an exhibition and showcasing obviously some of the Indian artists. Are you able to tell us any more at the moment or is that something that you know you're you'll be working on once you get back fully because that sounds like another big project (laughs) yes yes it it will be a big project yes as part of my application i um, to write a plan of my um, post fellowship activities because uh, fulbright supports not only your stay and your travel but very much hope that after you come back you will continue acting as a 
liaison between between cultures, liaison between nations. That's the whole idea, goal of Fulbright Fellowship. So yes, I have a big plan of creating an exhibition, curating a symposium for scholars to convene, for curators to convene, and for for artists as well to exchange their ideas and exchange their artwork and hopefully Eastern will be a welcoming host for all these activities and I look forward to bringing Indian artists in person or virtually back to Eastern. Well Julia as I said it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much as I say for inviting us here. Congratulations with the Fulbright Nehru Fellowship and uh, safe travels of course back to India. I'm sure it's going to be everything that you hope it will be and more and we will look forward to catching up with you once you're back and uh, you know once you start showcasing some of that marvelous Indian art and culture but in the meantime thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much Brian it's always a pleasure talking to you thank you. And to find out more about Eastern's Art Gallery, visit their website page at easternct.edu forward slash art dash gallery. Connecticut East This Week is made possible by Nutmeg Pharmacy, your local independent pharmacy serving Higginham, Moodis, Centerbrook and Taftville, reminding you to get your flu, RSV and COVID vaccines now and protect you and your family. Open seven days a week with free local delivery. Find your nearest Nutmeg Pharmacy at nutmegpharmacy.com. And join Healing Therapies through sharing for their annual Holiday Magic and Poinsettia sale on November 25th from 10am to 1pm at 83 Boston Post Road, Waterford, raising essential funds for those with a cancer diagnosis. Decorate your holiday and Christmas season and help out a worthy cause. Event details and other ways to help can be found at healingtherapiesct.org. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. A historic site dating back to 1812 in Connecticut could be blasted to pieces if a developer gets appropriate zoning and planning permission. Mount Decatur in Gales Ferry could be turned into a quarry if Massachusetts-based landowners Cashman Incorporated are granted special permits that would involve blasting and excavating 40 acres of the 165-acre site into rock for commercial use. Paul Servany owns his childhood home that sits on Mount Decatur and says he's found out he will be only 100 feet from the boundary of the blasting zone if the town of Ledger grants the special permits. Well, I bought the property from my dad. I grew up there and I wanted to bring my wife to a peaceful place. And it sounds like it's going to sound like a war zone for the next five to ten years. And loud noises upset her, they shock her, and she can't live under those conditions. Residents say they fear their quality of life will be affected not only by blasting of the rock, but 
but also heavy machines to process it and increase traffic on local roads to transport the finished product. Anne Roberts-Pearson owns a home in the shadow of Mount Decatur and says apart from the quality of life issues she has about the project, she says local residents don't want to see their local history destroyed. This is a significant site that relates to the War of 1812 and Commodore Stephen Decatur, and it's really never gotten the attention that it needed. A fantastic study has been done by heritage consultants, paid for by the applicant, and it really reveals the significant attributes that this site has. So far in the application documents, we haven't seen anything that will really protect this site sufficiently. Connecticut East this week reached out to Cashman Incorporated for comments, but have yet to receive a reply. Meanwhile, local advocacy groups and the State of Connecticut Historic Preservation Office have begun discussions with Cashman Inc. over the matter. A public hearing about the proposed project was recently cancelled after the occupancy of the building it was in was exceeded when over 70 local residents from Gales Ferry and the immediate area turned up wanting to air their concerns. A new location and public hearing will now take place on December 14th. Child advocates across Connecticut are imploring Governor Lamont to increase state funding for subsidised preschool and childcare slots. Edwin J. Biera from the Connecticut News Service has this report. This will hopefully offset the impacts of a new law stating children have to be five years old before September 1st, the year they start kindergarten. While these advocates support the change, they're worried about the burden this puts on the state's already strained early education system. Courtney Parkerson with the Connecticut Project describes how this will impact some families. There is a concern that the families that were not anticipating that they would have to pay for another year of preschool and childcare will now have to pay for it. In Connecticut, that averages about $13,000 per child. Without state intervention, it's estimated around 9,000 kids won't be eligible to start kindergarten at the same time they did in the past. The state's Office of Early Childhood and the Connecticut Department of Education find 6,300 kids will have to find preschool spaces, while the other 2,700 won't have any formal education for another year. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. An 80-person strong food service department at Subbase New London have picked up a five-star award for their sustained superior customer service and support. Each week, the food service team makes and serves around 12,000 meals for the men and women who work and serve at the Subbase. Mauro Lara is a culinary specialist third class and part of the food service team and says when you're making that many meals from scratch, it's a long day for everyone. We come in at 4.30, start prepping by 6 because that's when breakfast comes out. And then right after that, we kick into lunch. So by 10.30, everything's out. These two meals, breakfast, lunch, are our most excessive because everybody's awake. You know, it's the morning, it's midday, and everybody's here. The Navy Region Mid-Atlantic five-star accreditation is the military equivalent of getting a Michelin star and takes a year from start to finish for the evaluation. Chris Roth is the food service officer in charge of the base's cross-hauled galley and said getting the five-star award is a big deal. It's over a year period and we go through all our finances, all of our records, all of our returns, all of our procurements, all of our provisions. We go through all of our sanitation, we go through all of our training and we go through food service as well and customer satisfaction. So those are the overarching areas that really make up the five-star accreditation. The sub-base team will also be competing to represent the region in a Navy-wide competition established back in 1958 by the Secretary of the Navy and the International Food Service Executives Association for Best East Coast General Mess Ashore. Students and volunteers at Eastern Connecticut State University said thank you to the local community by serving up a special pre-Thanksgiving meal recently as part of their annual day of giving. Lexi Mastriani is a former Eastern student and now the school's community engagement coordinator.
operator and said the annual event, now in its 17th year, really does mean a lot to the local residents. They get to see their friends too today, a familiar face from our volunteers, the student leaders, and just a great day today to get to have their Thanksgiving meal. I think we're going to have between 300 to 400 guests today. And for the meal, I think we're going to have turkey, mashed potatoes, and a ton of good food today. John Kazuski lives in Willimantic and together with his friends caught the bus provided by Easton to come to the celebration day. It's a, a blessing to come here and have a nice feast with our friends, all friends here, and at that table, this table, at every, every table. Three buses are coming here, and it's fun. And I, I enjoy the food, so, you know, everybody enjoys it. Easton provided shuttle buses from various locations in the town of Willimantic to pick up the residents and take them back during the special day event. Food for the annual event is donated by the Eastern Connecticut State University Foundation and prepared by Chartwell's Easton's food service provider. The Day of Giving was first held in 2007 and after a short interruption due to COVID-19 returned to campus in 2022. And Connecticut College added a new green energy smart solar flower to their campus recently. The device is is capable of producing an output of 5,000 kilowatt hours annually and has been connected to the school's central power supply and will provide around 40% of the electricity needed to run Woodworth House on the campus. The innovative design and functionality of the smart flower gives it the edge over traditional solar panels as it mimics flowers in nature by folding up its petals at night and then opening them again during daylight and dynamically tracking the sun as it moves throughout the day. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.